Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Putting the Horse First. I am here today with Helen Thornton, and she is a horse physio in the UK, and she's going to tell us all about her physio work with horses. So, Helen, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, this is still a new podcast. I'm always thrilled whenever somebody's willing to come on and talk to me. <laughs> You're so uh, thank you for that. So you can start out. Why don't you tell us a bit about how you got into horses? Mine was not a typical route into horses because I had no influence as to parents being horsey or anything like that. And I just nagged. I just nagged my parents. Good for, for you. Well done. Um, from a very young age. One of my birthday presence as a young child was a horse riding lesson and that was that <laughs> so basically from that my mum and dad being normal all working people my mum was a nursery teacher and my dad an electrician so again nothing to do with farms or anything like that but they just wanted to support me I suppose and did their best mm. so I got a sanctuary pony at the age of 10 which we had for six months which was obviously wouldn't have known them but obviously a very damaged pony and would just bolt blindly or the usual you know run backwards down ditches with me and in the end we thought it was safer that the pony went back to the sanctuary and lived an unridden life and then from that I bought my first pony who was my soulmate. And we did everything, joined Pony Club, became part of all the teams, went around the country, part of the Prince Philip Cup Gymkhana teams, which was great fun, doing the vaulting. and Oh, neat. Um, oh, yeah, it was great. I mean, I couldn't do that now. Um, I'd probably fall on my face. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then went to, you know, the dressage teams and jumping. So kind of had a real overall pony that was fantastic in just about every area. And then the one thing that she wasn't too keen on was show jumping we would always stop by the fourth fence so as a 10 11 12 year old that made me think why so mm. from that age is when I started to think about their physical limitations capabilities and you know why I was always thinking and that that got me quite known on a lot of yards where I, I was asked to ride quite a lot of different ponies and horses and so I got too big for my pony and, and we sold her to an amazing family who agreed to keep her until she was retired which they did and gave me a back when she was retired um and then I went straight on to a x racehorse at the age of 14 uh, you, know, uh, you yep, should not gotcha. do but again it was the best thing ever and he was my second soulmate and we just I kept I had him till he was 32 you know did all the things that I'm now saying don't do I used the Pessoa back then I did everything you know uh -huh. and lunged in the traditional English way where you are not changing anything um you're just rebuilding what's good and you're just weakening what's weak but that horse was a saint and we did we did a lot together from county working hunter to hunter trials and dressage it was amazing but probably the dressage that I now go away from ah, <laughs> that's yeah, the truth gotcha. yeah so but but again as a, you know as a thoroughbred they can be sensitive to their environment I mean all horses are so it was quite a neurotic thoroughbred to begin with to look after which the livery yards didn't quite like when he would bring himself in or he would wind himself up over mares and so I would yeah. just sit in the field with him quite a lot trying to work out how can I get this horse happier because our ridden life was becoming amazing but to look after it was quite a nightmare so mm. he taught it taught me a lot I mean everybody can't do this but when the property that I've got now didn't have uh, just at hand there was no stables no arena and, and I'd already got the information of how to set up and where to put the stables so that every paddock met up at the stables and there was no field out at the back so you've got a horse out of at 
the end, you know, if you've got different horses yeah. and different if you do separate mares which I did back then and I don't anymore um so just simple things like knowing that about how you set up your yard so your horse is not stressed because they're out what I call out on a limb they're the one that's going to get eaten because they're shoved out on the outer circle if you've got them in the paddock furthest away it was little things like that that I learned really good stuff that I realize now not everybody picks up on about where I their horse's stress. And that's just one example of a million. I then actually, after university, where I studied equine science, which was the only choice we had back then, there was no veterinary physio degrees like there is now. I then studied with Mary Bromler and did sports therapy diploma and many, many different CPD modules with myofascial release, all that kind of thing. And just put it together as my own understanding from these therapies. Along the way, I've had various different horses, done various different things. And I suppose now I'm at that stage where I don't want to do anything majorly competitive but I, I, I just want to enjoy my horse and the move correctly in between my uni days I was jockeying I was a work rider for a race oh, wow. the thoroughbreds <laughs> really are my thing <laughs> and while I was a jockey I was getting serious aches and pains and had I only two major incidents to be fair I only had two major incidents but that led to various injuries and I found something called the Boeing technique um for myself read a, just way the universe puts things together for us I suppose and I read about it in a magazine one day and thought I'm gonna look this up and it found I mean I live very rural in the middle of nowhere and it turned out there was a gentleman in the next village five miles away that did the bowing technique crazy so I went along and, and I had a treatment and was kind of amazed how different I felt so I trained in the bowing technique for people did that for a year and a half and I suppose that's how I started with the extra CPDs and then putting together what I want how I wanted to treat horses and so what that led to was me doing various different injuries which happened in life I went snowboarding and fell hard down a mountain and that really did mess me up in a quite a serious way much more than any any horse ever has and from that that led to what I now know was I just couldn't breathe properly I basically Ah, fell on my head in a at a certain angle and injured the collarbone and, and the brachial plexus for the shoulders. For 24 hours, I was kind of unable to move my right arm at all. I was paralyzed for like 24 hours with that arm and didn't really understand the catastrophicness that I'd done to myself. You know, back then, and this is many years ago, many years ago, and uh, nobody really was harping on about breathing or anything back then. Mm. Um, and that most adults breathe incorrectly. So that led me down the path for myself of discovering how bad my breathing was mm. and how that is a catalyst to the body just unraveling. I then started to play around with what can I feel on a horse? Because at the end of the day, we sit on theirs to ride. So that led me about 10 years ago, deciding that I wanted to study the equine osteopathy because the visceral is extremely important in that training. But at the time, it was very expensive. And by the time I decided, right, I'm going to do this. COVID hit. So I had to wait until after that. So now I am halfway through proving, gosh, why did I not do this earlier? It's the question of what does it mean to me to put the horse first? Where I'm at is I know that my education is never going to stop. It's a never ending journey. And things change. Things evolve. Like when I was a child using the damper sewer, I now. (laughs) And so I think for me, I'm continuing always my knowledge. So I'd like to provide a horse owner's course so that people can get some extra tools in their kit and extra skills in their kit. So that say, for example, their horse has an incident. It's on a rope and pulls back that can be catastrophic the back of the skull or you know they've slipped 
on on the wet or they've slipped on a road or whatever or they've mm. had no no incident but they're actually traveling a lot and the owner knows that traveling a lot is extremely tiring on the body yeah. or, they, or they do compete their horse a lot and they know they're having downtime so you know let's see how the horse feels if they've got those skills to be able to do body checkups and know if something's not right and then also they've got some very gentle skills that can help assess whether the training they're doing is creating the benefit that they want. So I teach a couple of dead easy exercises which allow the owner to check whether the thoracic function is actually there at all. If it's not, Mm -hmm. you can then keep checking it throughout your training. Is it becoming there? So Mm -hmm. same as the midsection, does it actually move or is it locked up? And same with the pelvis. And these are a real easy checks that I can teach people and we'll get it to varying degrees, but the more they practice, the more they'll understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's where I'm at is putting the horse first means passing on some education and some knowledge, Yeah, which is, which is, which is not the usual. It's not massage or, or even your basic anatomy, which I think is brilliant. It needs to yeah. be out there. Um, it's more just having these checkups that you can do, do to know your horse's limitations. And if there's anything not quite, Right. At the minute, I've made it into a two-day course for horse owners, and it's just uh-huh. a, it's just a case of getting it out there and letting people know that how it will benefit them as an owner. It's a mixture of what I call rhythmic somatic exercises. It's very gentle. There's no manipulation. There's no direct force, anything like that. I think that obviously should be left to the qualified people. It's a mixture of that with some structural therapy, which is just to drop the horse down what I call down that staircase of stress. Mm-hmm. So if if you can help the horse to re-inhibit their body and to and to let go of unwanted tension and mm-hmm. unwanted stress, which creates a relaxation and change in the body, which then has mm-hmm. a global effect, then I think the owners have got some extra skills that are really valuable, really valuable. Yeah. And, and also knowing the difference whether actually something's happened do I need my therapist or do I need my vet? Because a lot of owners seem to be complicated. Um, they don't seem to understand the, you know, the differences to who they need and, and just making it clear, you know, if you've got a horse that's in need of a vet, do <laughs> get the <Yes>. vet. <laughs> it's not manipulations. It's not, it's more rhythmic exercises that really take the horse into a different zone. So I think the first time that I came across this, I was actually on a human training course called NKT therapy, which is neurokinetics therapy. Mm-hmm. And I was so sore myself that they couldn't, you know, when you go on human training courses for people of any body work, you're the guinea pigs for each other. Yeah. I couldn't be anybody's guinea pig because I was so incredibly sore. Nobody could touch me. Oh, oh boy. And and one of the trainers got me off, off the off the massage couch and was like, just come over here. And just got me to do some rhythmic breathing motions. And within five minutes, I went into the biggest myofascial unwinding you have ever seen. It sounds crazy to explain it, but unless you've experienced it, and it didn't feel scary, it was really nice, but I was kind of uncontrollably shaking many various areas of my body. And it was all where I'd had injury. It was all shut down. It was so interesting. And every time I have diaphragm work done on me since, nothing as big as that reaction because I obviously dropped down the staircase in that moment quite a lot. I continued to yawn for three hours after that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was. And this this was just rhythmic motions while breathing. 
um, in, in particular areas, put my arms in particular areas. It, it was nothing much. And I think you seek things out for a purpose. And I always say, I wish I'd not had my injuries. <laughs> but uh. They've kind of given me an extra level of understanding how you can really understand the body on a deeper level. I think for me, it's a case of providing that for horse owners, but they can't do any damage. They can't do any damage to the horse with these techniques. They can only help the horse. Um, And I think, you know, obviously training is part of that to de-stress the horse. Correct fitting equipment is part of that. Good foot balance is part of that. It's about the whole team working together. I hate to open up a can can of worms, Um, (laughs) but where are you on... um... Saddle fitting has gone through this whole evolution where they were encouraging everyone to get saddles properly fit. And now it seems like it's come back around on itself where what I think in their place where people get their saddle fit checked every three months or something. I mean, the horse changes so quickly that saddle fit is two weeks later. It's not going to fit the same as it fit when the saddle fitter was there. And I... I agree. And I think this is another reason why, you know, originally I never thought I'd be doing courses um, mm-hmm. for, for horse owners. I, I It wasn't a goal, but I, but that's exactly that. I think, and, and I feel sorry for the saddle fitters, but you are fitting a rigid structure to a moving structure with another moving structure sat on top. So it's not easy. And I think mm-hmm. if owners have got checkups that they can do within the body and they get a new saddle or they get it adjusted, and, and, and that equine body has felt this way for so long and all of a sudden it doesn't feel the same, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. You know, you know, because you've got those tools to check. You're not in this ever ending confusion because yeah. everyone wants the best for the horse. And I always say horses don't need your sympathy. They need your empathy. And ah, that's a good yeah. I like that. Yeah, and they yeah. and they do talk, and we all know. Well, most of us know. You know, I'm I'm no behaviorist. That's not what I've studied. Um, but we all know that they do talk with body language. And for me, their actions say a lot. Their actions and their expressions. So even though I'm no equine behaviorist, I've not studied it at all. Um, just as a therapist, putting hands on. Or when I go to a horse and I'm stood talking to the owner, I'm also looking out the corner of my eye. I always say that I've got eyes in the back of my head, the side of my head and everywhere else. Because while I'm talking to the owner, I'm getting an impression of how the horse is stood, how the horse maybe is shifting its weight or um, it's stood at a hayner and it stands in a certain direction at that hayner constantly. So then you ask uh, yeah. You know, does this horse come in overnight and have a hay net for 12 hours? Yes. It'd be really interesting to put a camera up because I have a funny feeling so it can see its best friend in the opposite stable. It stands on a particular angle. And for 12 hours every night, stood on a particular angle, it's going to affect the body. And it's this minute detail that can sound crazy to some people but I've seen it for nearly 20 years what effect can have and how that can travel through the body and all these things if we can just acknowledge them but back back to saddle fit I'm not a trained saddle fitter but Mm -hmm. this is the problem the horses can change especially young horses they're not going to change the skeletal frame the older horses but of course they're going to change the muscle structures all all of a sudden the rider doesn't do jumping anymore and they've got off the horse and they're doing groundwork to just rehab something then that horse is going to change a lot weekly yeah it's difficult it really is is. 
difficult. No, it's, it's very tricky. I have my personal horse right now. When I bought him, I was actually, I'm six foot tall. And when right. I bought him, I was riding Icelandic, which are little ponies. I wanted a big horse. I wound up with a 17 one-hand Dutch harness horse. I got him a very fancy saddle. It was $6,500, which is as much as I paid for my car when I bought my car. And he was fine in the very fancy saddle. I got him for about two years. And then he's not fine. And I worked with the saddle fitter remotely. And finally, one day I pulled out, I have, which I've put many, many miles in. I love the Ansoor saddles, the old ones, which are basically a bareback pad. There's nothing to them except, you know, whatever padding you had underneath. And this thing has duct tape on it. And this thing has been used a lot. I threw that on him. And within a week, like every day, he was better and better and better and better. So I now have the $6,500 saddle sitting in the closet. And I'm trying to decide whether I'm going to sell this thing. My old Ansoor which I've replaced the billets on three times and really needs to get fixed up. And he loves that. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's great, Horsey. And the thing is that the fancy expensive saddle that I got, I actually got to fit me too. It's got a 19 inch seat and a super long flap and my horse does not like it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have this, uh, this 21 year old saddle. <laughs> so yeah. um, I'm like, well, that's annoying. Um, and I can't really jump a saddle because it's a little bit too small for me, but the horse is much happier in it. And like, yeah, and, and, yeah, and that's the thing you've noticed with your horse, probably yeah. via the way he moves, his expressions, etc. Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. noticed what what is happy and what is not. And I've heard of this quite a lot, where people have changed saddles and and got a saddle that now apparently fit, and yeah. yet the horse is much unhappier than mm-hmm. before. And then you have to go down this whole road of, well, is that because he was more comfortable being shut down, or and, oh. and you go down this road, you do. And um, I just think horses are designed no matter what to look okay to the eye because they do not want to get eaten <laughs> that is just ah, what they do. so gotcha. you can walk and trot a horse up forever in a day unless it's seriously compromised and needing a vet and of course physios and osteopaths you, you're going to see you know what the pelvis is doing now heavily landing on different feet etc and that's not what I'm going to teach a horse owner on a course I'm going to teach them to, to do some checkups that you don't need to have a great eye you don't need to be trained. You can do these checkups and they don't lie. <laughs> so, yeah. for example, does the horse's jaw move equally to both sides? Or oh, okay. Cool. Pick, picking up a front limb and checking if there's any front end trauma, which mm. 80% of horses that I see, there's a trauma pattern in one shoulder. Every, oh. every 80% of horses that I see. If you can teach a horse owner... To just check that, you know, yeah. it's just extra information that they can pass on to their professional when they visit. But it's also, I then do give them the hands-on techniques that they can do to try and start to unwind that horse. I think the, one of the main, the first things that I teach is what's in the mind is in the body and what's in the body is in the mind. And my journey was an absolute catalyst for me realizing this and seeking out certain training for when I was doing a lot of human training because I was never a panic kind of person or a warrior or anxiety but the mm-hmm. longer and the more years that went on that I couldn't breathe properly the more that some anxiety would set in and it works both ways we all know people who have a panic attack can't breathe it works both ways you could have a real traumatic injury falling down a mountain and eventually that change that's happened in your body where things and just not got the room to move that they should have then can lead to things like anxiety and I know that to be factual because it's happened to me so why is that different for a horse yep you seek out trainers that know how to help a horse regulate and I think it has to come from 
every aspect of management, training, comfort and the horse you've got your two different types of horses where you've got your really expressive horses that really let you know they really let you know and then you've got your ones that are kind of shut down and they don't say much and you'll tack them up and, and they're not the horses that are biting the walls they're the horses that don't notice you've arrived with the saddle which is yeah. also just as bad as a horse biting a wall when you arrive with the saddle they have no interaction they stand there they hold their breath they're not moving, they're not looking at you, they're not acknowledging you, and they just kind of cope while you put the saddle on, knowing full well that for them, that means a bit of discomfort. See the opposite end of the scale all the time, and actually I think mm-hmm. your shutdown ones are probably the more dangerous ones. They're the ones that at some point are going to explode. Shutdown horses are tricky. In the past several years, I've met a few shutdown horses. I could not believe how shut down they were, and I was like, you know, I yeah. probably work with these horses when I was younger, but just didn't notice it. And yeah. now I'm noticing and I'm like, oh boy, wow, yeah. this this is, how yeah. could I have ever had a horse like this before and not, it just didn't yeah. hit me smack in the face. You know, like, it, on the last horse owners course that I did, I allowed someone to bring and drop off their pony to be an extra pony for the weekend. And this pony was a typical jumping pony, you know, a child's pony. So they're kind of very wheezy and they're very far around the jumps and that's how they go. And that builds up certain things over the years. That pony literally is a typical case of what I call dropping down the staircase. Okay. When they brought him, they'd had the saddle fitter out because he wasn't letting them get near him with the saddle. It was difficult to catch, difficult to touch the ears, a lot of your typical things. And he was here for the full last day, so he had plenty of practice on him. And basically the next time I saw him, and that was actually two to three months later, um, due mm-hmm. to people's schedules and whatnot. Pony was a completely different pony. Huh. So different. And that was just from being there as a practice pony. And they yeah. said, it's so much happier. Let's you catch him. They went back to riding him. And of course, these things will rebuild. <laughs> of course they will. That pony goes that way. And he's a jumping pony. Mm-hmm. The pony's probably got a year or two with this child. And that's life. But they still want the best for the pony and care for the pony. It's just a... Little clue as to how much you can help them just by very simple exercises. And that pony obviously then went on to regulate himself a lot more than what he was doing beforehand. That's great. It's not always about the incredibly different and change in posture because for some horse owners that just stress them out because they can't see it. Or it might stress them out because they're being a healthy skeptic and thinking, but haven't just changed the position of the horse. And, and honestly, therapists who are putting up before and after pictures and not doing that because it's not it's really not worth it for me I always take a picture of where the horse chooses to stand and it's never never prepped if you like it's just that horses choose to stand and rest in a different way afterwards to how it was stood and resting beforehand so then you can see the changes but I think if the owner can't recognize that kind of thing but they know their horse they really know their horse They know how relaxed or tense their horse is in certain situations. They know how happy or not happy he is to be fed when other horses are getting fed. It's just a simple one. Some horses need to be the first in that barn to get fed. Otherwise, all hell lets loose. So people do know their horses. They do. They just might not know things from a postural view, which can take years to train, if not your thing. Um, So I'm saying if you need to leave that to the professionals or you want to learn something about it, then maybe learn to feel it. And I think the... I think the inside out 
what's in the mind is in the body, what's in the body is in the mind. It's very clear to feel when you are checking particular areas, such as the shoulder girdle, which is the thoracic sling, is it functioning? Are they able to engage it? Or is it down on the floor? And if you can feel that in your horse and you know, but you couldn't see it, but you can feel it, you then start to do your training because you know your horse needs to go differently. You're getting so many injuries or or somebody's helping to educate you and you've realised, yes, okay, my horse and it does need to go better. If you can do these checks and know, right, this is working. This training that I'm doing is working because now I have got mobility. That's what I want to teach people because it's foolproof. All right, that's awesome. So if people wanted to reach out and get in touch with you and how did they find you? So at the minute, it's um, in-person course in the UK. I'm hoping next year to get it online. What I am offering for people who are obviously not in the UK is one-to-ones that I can do via Zoom sessions and they've worked really well because they send me the information beforehand of any history, any veterinary history, any pathology and what's going wrong and then because they're on the Zoom and on the camera I can exactly direct where I want their hands to be and really explain what they need to be feeling and just keep on going until we get it and it's proven to be not that hard. Stops people misinterpreting by me putting something online, which I'm not sure I'm ready to do yet because it is something you've got to feel. Obviously, in person, I'm able to move somebody's hand or say your body language is just a bit too much, you need to just relax or whatever. So Mm. if I've got a camera, I can do the same thing. My website is my name. It's just www.helenthornton.com. And my Facebook page is Equine Sports Therapy and PEMF, which should be easy to find or just put my name in. And they gotcha. All right. I will make sure I put those in the show notes. But I appreciate you coming to talk to me. It's been very nice of you to share your time with me. Thank you. Thank you very much.